This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. I'm Josh Slavitt. Uh, I'm a uh, patent attorney and a partner at uh, the law firm of Pepper Hamilton. Uh, it's a uh, general practice law firm based in Philadelphia but with offices uh, now throughout the country. I focus on intellectual property law, both litigation as well as uh, patent prosecution and transactional and counseling work. I thought it would be helpful just to put it in a little bit of context. What makes this case interesting and important is that it addresses a basic issue of patent law, and that is what is use of a patented invention. And although that sounds like a fairly basic and fundamental question that you would imagine would have already been addressed a long time ago, it's actually one that's required revisiting as technology has developed. And this is an instance of that. The Centillion case is an instance of the Federal Circuit um, having to apply what is a, a long-standing principle of patent law, but to a new context, a new technology, not so much new from how we might think of it today, but in terms of the patent as, as it's applied, it's a new uh, application of the law. Just to set the stage for it, uh, a couple of basics. The, the, the question has to do with infringement, and infringement is defined in Section 271 as making, using, or selling within the U.S., or importing into the U.S. a patented invention. So the t two key parts of this, for our purposes, discussing the case, is use and patent invention. And so putting it aside just for a moment the question of use, the patented invention means the invention is defined in the claims. And infringement is determined on a claim-by-claim -claim basis, and for any given claim, in order to infringe it, each and every element of the claim has to be found in the infringing use. So if a claim requires A, B, C, and D, and the accused infringer is using A, B, and C, but not D, there's no infringement. Um, this is pretty straightforward when it's a device, like a snowblower or an article of manufacture, um, uh, as to whether all of the elements are present, and therefore use of that device or article of manufacture would be infringing. But when the claims are directed to a system, that question can be a little more complicated. And Centillion deals with a, with a system, and more specifically, a system for processing and delivering billing data from a service provider, like a telephone company, to a customer. Uh, and this is something that's become much more common today as we do more of our transactions online. And specific to this patent, the Centillion patent, the system, as it's claimed, had essentially four elements. It had three elements which were considered back-end, back-office elements, and a fourth element that was that resided on a on a user's personal computer. And so that the the delivery of, of billing data about somebody's phone service could be would employ the back-end elements as well as the user's personal computer. Quest is a telephone company. Uh, and they have billing systems which employ both back office elements as well as a front-end client application that their customers can install on their personal computers. Uh, because of this, Centillion sued Quest, and in the district court, Quest moved for summary judgment of non-infringement, essentially saying, we're not using the claimed invention, uh, or no one actually they're saying no one is using the claimed invention. There is no infringer, so there can't be an infringement. So the court accepted that argument. It granted Quest's motion. And in doing so, it didn't do the usual 
analysis of non-infringement, which is to look at the elements of a claim and compare it to what somebody's doing and seeing whether all the elements are there, whether they have A, B, C, and D. But they said it considered whether Quest could be liable for infringement of a system that requires both back element office portions as well as portions operated by somebody else, by a user. And considering its analysis, it looked to the Federal Circuit decision in the NTP uh, the research in motion case, uh, the BlackBerry case, for the definition of use of a system. And in that case, which had to do more with using a system where the elements, it wasn't a question of who the actors were, it was a per single person using the elements, but the elements did not all reside in the United States. Certain elements, the relay switches, were outside the United States and Canada. The district court in the Centillion case, in applying NTP, held that an accused infringer must either practice every element or control or direct the actions of another that practices the element in question. Applying that interpretation of NTP to the facts in the case, the district court found that no single actor was using the system. So that although Quest was providing the user software to, to their customers, it didn't require them to load it and it didn't perform the processing the additional processing at the user PC. Similarly, the district court found that Quest customers didn't use the system either because they didn't direct or control the back-end element. I mean, so you have a situation where the claim covers a series of elements and no one actor is being found to use or be in control of all of the elements. And as a result, the court granted the motion for, for summary judgment. On appeal, the Federal Circuit interestingly noted that it had never directly addressed the question of infringement of a system claim that includes elements in the possession of more than one actor. And you would think that nowadays that's that's become quite common in certainly in the in the world and how people how people conduct transactions. But uh, to the extent that that the patent world has a slight delay in terms of the time between people invent things and when patents get issued and then ultimately asserted against others and, and then determined by courts, this seems a little bit dated uh, almost. Uh, we're quite familiar with network systems and having front-end systems and, and back-end components. But to this specific question of who is infringing or is there an infringer, the Federal Circuit noted that they were essentially looking at a fresh question that hadn't previously been addressed. But it, and in doing so, it looked, it, it looked to its previous decision in NTP, just as the district court did, and looked to that definition in terms of what it meant for use. What does it mean for somebody to use a system? It agreed with the district court as to the application of NTP as a definition, its kind of underlying principles. Uh, and in NTP, again, the court did find infringement of somebody using a system where the components were not all within the United States. And insofar as patents are territorial in nature, to practice a patent in the U.S. or to, to do something in the U.S. would be an infringement. To do the very same thing outside the U.S. wouldn't be an infringement to the extent that the patent doesn't cover extraterritorial activity. So in NTP, one of the system components was outside of the United States, but the court nonetheless found that customers located in the United States 
who sent messages via the, the BlackBerry and used the overall system, the user in the United States was infringing. They were using the system as a whole because they were getting benefit from the system uh, and that they were putting the system as a whole into service. It was looking essentially at the same kind of conduct that the district court was looking at in Quest and seeing simply the customer's engagement and putting the system as a whole in service, even if one of the elements was in service that was outside the U.S., as use of the system, in applying that logic here, it found that while it agreed with the district court that Quest was not using the whole system because Quest was using the back-end components but not the user PC, the Federal Circuit disagreed with the, uh, with the lower court as to the users the customers, and the Quest customers were not only using their front-end PC-loaded application, but in pinging the back office and getting data from it and interacting with it, that they were using the system as a whole, and that even though they weren't in physical possession or control over, uh, they did not exert physical control over the back-end servers, that they were nonetheless using the system. That was obviously important for the case, because if there's no infringement, if there's no infringer, there can be a no, no infringement. And while it might seem initially that, well, okay, great, you have customers of Quest that are infringing, you're not going to sue the customers of Quest. No. But to the extent that Quest could then be held liable for indirect infringement by inducing the infringement of others, there needs to be someone infringing in order to, for someone else to be in, inducing that infringement. So it can be important to find that the customer is infringing, not to go after the customers, but to be able to still go after Quest as inducing that infringement. I mean, they certainly make it very clear uh, that this is the definition, and they say in the opinion, we hold that use of a system, or to use a system for purposes of infringement, a party must put the invention into service, i.e. control the system as a whole, and obtain benefit from it. It's essentially employing it. So it's not necessarily having to control it, having to own it, um, having to be right in physical proximity to it, but to the extent that, and in the context, you know, in the normal context we have of, of online transactions, you have your own PC and, and you may or may not have components even provided from somebody else, but you have s some PC component that you control and you have servers of various, whether they're merchants you're, you're doing business with, or service providers, your cable company, your telephone company, and they have their computer systems. And it's quite a common event that we're interacting with them and that in casting the definition in this way, the court is acknowledging the distributed nature of these systems and is not getting hung up about the physicality of where things are and who owns things. But who is using it? And what is that? Is the use essentially, you know, you're getting as much use out of it by being the customer and pinging the back-end thing. That's, that's what it's there for. It's there to interact with the customer component. And so the customer's interaction with it is what allows the customer to get the benefit of the system. So it's, it's a pragmatic kind of uh, approach that acknowledges the realities and adapts to this distributed networked world we live in. 
Now, as a no cautionary note, I think it's, it's, it's certainly useful and oftentimes a lot of interesting patent decisions are a result of either inattentive or just simply insufficient forethought in, uh, or clairvoyance even in drafting claims. Because if you, if you look at the problem started at the, at the first instance by having a claim where you have this divided you know, elements that are, that are distributed and different people are interacting with different elements. As a practice pointer from a claim drafting standpoint, it, it's always important to think about who is it that you would want to be going after. For, so for a centillion, it's somebody like a Quest, and not necessarily Quest customers. And then framing their system and the actions that are taken in, 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 in using the system from the standpoint of a Quest or somebody else that you would potentially go after. So what is it that Quest is doing? They are not necessarily using a PC. They have a system that is configured to interact with a PC, to receive signals from a PC and to send signals back to a PC. If the system can be described from the standpoint of what a company like Quest is doing, and, and only from their perspective, then the claim more naturally fits the activity of that infringer, and you can avoid or at least reduce the opportunity of having a situation where, where the claim covers a whole bunch of things and the people you want to go after are somehow only involved in parts of them. The importance of the case really has to do with this question of use of a system where different actors are involved. It makes sense to the extent that the question of infringement is going to conduct, right? It's going to, 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 to actors and conduct, not so much. And in doing that, just like in NTP, they were, they were not getting hung up about where the elements of the system were as compared with the actor and the action of infringement, the actions that are constituting infringement, and to what extent the, in, the elements of the system were implicated. Here, the Federal Circuit is making clear they are still requiring that there is an actor that is engaged with, with each of the elements of the system because they found Quest was not a direct infringer because it was not involved in the user PC part, but that the customer was because they had the user PC part plus they interacted with the back end part. So you still have to interact with all of the elements, um, but what that means is not as narrowly drawn as the district court, and I think that in doing so it's, it, it does acknowledge the realities of, of these kinds of distributed systems. Patent activity and patent enforcement generally is, is like other activities in businesses. It's driven by the dollars, where there's no market and where there's no customers, there's nothing worth fighting over. So to the extent that more and more of our commerce is being conducted in distributed and networked ways and on distributed networked systems, that the patents concerning those kinds of systems and, and methods involved, you know, the, the, the ways in which we are conducting business and the importance of being able to do it in that way is basically almost unavoidable in today's world. And with the evolution of technologies, the evolution of not just networks, but the next generations of technologies that will come, our conceptions of what is it to use a patented invention will probably continue to require revisiting. I would put it two ways. I'd say it provides specific guidance in the context of when you're claiming a system in understanding what constitutes infringement um, that you can define the system 
not necessarily by all of its elements that it exists in the world, but by those elements necessary for patentability that are defined in terms of a particular actor's actions. To the extent that you have a system that has components controlled by multiple actors, that a sensitivity to who is it that I would be asserting these claims against, and what would I have to show that they're doing, and that this guy provides greater guidance in what would constitute use of an element, so that if you needed an element in order for patent to get patentability, but that element kind of create, injected an ele a, a question about, well, would then one person be using this system? This can provide greater guidance in that particular context. As a broader cautionary uh, tale, it is um, not particularly unique. It is just the newest version of it, but ultimately it underscores the importance of drafting claims with an eye towards how they would ultimately be used and against whom. When you start framing a claimed invention only with respect to itself, that you are in all likelihood not crafting the most practical claim because a claim's value is not only in its fidelity to the inventor's conception of the invention. This case underscores the importance of in drafting patents, that it's not an academic exercise and it's not merely an exercise of uh, faithfully capturing the inventor's conception. But to go beyond that and look at the commercial context of the invention, who the players are, what kind of competitors there are, and how the invention would be used and by whom, so that in drafting the claims they have a certain practical application to how they would actually be used. So for example, when you have a system that has different pieces in different places or different parts, a sensitivity to the limitations of the law and the territoriality and the, the, the need to find an actor who's, who is, who is um, using the entire, you know, every element of the claimed system, claimed invention, is that that sensitivity ultimately enhances the value of the patent. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.